Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 59. Now today's conversation is close to my heart. If you've listened to some of my previous episodes, you've heard my basketball story and how I walked on at Gonzaga. It was one of the hardest and most rewarding things I've ever done. I didn't know what to expect when I showed up on campus, and I wasn't ready for how physically and mentally challenging every practice would be. For anyone out there who's thinking about playing Division I basketball without a scholarship offer, I brought on assistant men's basketball coach Brian Michelson to not only explain the walk-on process, but also share how to maximize your chance of having a successful playing career. Brian and I have a special bond for a few reasons. First off, he's part of the Gonzaga Basketball Brotherhood. It's amazing how close our alumni is and how many guys from around the world end up making Spokane their permanent home. Guys like Robert Sacre, Dan Dickow, Winston Brooks, and even J.P. Batista from Brazil bought a home here. And Brian is just another one of those former players who's originally from the Portland area, but has chosen to raise his beautiful family here in Spokane. Now second, I was his strength coach when he was in college. We spent a lot of time in the weight room together during his redshirt year, and so I get to take partial credit for his arms of steel. And the third bond that ties us together is that we were both walk-ons at GU before earning a scholarship. He knows firsthand from being a player and now a Division I coach of how difficult it can be to make it. And that's what I wanted to pick his brain on today. I asked him about the common thread between walk-ons like David Stockton, Mike Hart, Jeremy Jones, and Kyle Bankhead that not only earned a scholarship, but broke into the starting lineup. I asked him about how players can try out and how to catch the coach's eye. If you or a loved one is thinking about walking on, you won't want to miss this episode. Here's Brian Michelson. Brian, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, you and I go way back. I was actually your strength coach in college, and now we get to work together at Gonzaga. And even more so, we have more in common because we were both walk-ons at Gonzaga. So I'd love to hear about your basketball experience in high school and what made you choose GU. My basketball experience in high school, I played at Jesuit in Portland and uh, was fortunate enough to play with a lot of great players and uh, had a lot of success there, won a lot of big games, uh, got a state title and was lightly recruited, I think was the term that I would use. Had some Division II, some Division Threes, had some Division One teams, you know, thinking about doing something, but it, it never really came around. And so basically by the end of it, after my senior year, I got to a point where I wanted to make a decision on somewhere that I was going to be happy socially, somewhere I was going to be happy academically, and uh, as well as athletically. And, and when I really got down to it, you know, Gonzaga had just started to make its run. The crew that you were here with it had had a ton of success. I either knew a lot of people that were part of that group from the Northwest or knew of them. And it just seemed like a great fit for me, like I said, socially, academically. And then the basketball thing, it was somewhere where I thought I would be pushed and to be able to kind of stretch my abilities. And uh, I made the decision and it's been a fantastic one. And so how does that process look like for you? Did you already know the coaches? Did you know you were going to walk on? Did they know you were going to walk on? Did you show up on campus and then talk to them? Or was this already something you had predetermined? Yeah, you know, they had kind of told me that if I wanted to walk on, I would have a spot. And I think that made me a lot more comfortable. I'm not sure I could have taken the leap to come here without that. So back then I had come up here and done just the 
like Gonzaga Joe weekend and met Billy Greer back in the day. And uh, obviously Blake was coming up here as a scholarship player. And I had known Blake for a long time. We were part of the same class in Oregon. And so it was just a place that I was comfortable in. And I felt like I would at least have a roster spot and, and I could see what I could earn from there. And you come on campus and you get to meet your strength coach, Mike Nielsen. Former walk-on. I don't even want to think about some of my program design back in those days. I think about one time you and I were working out to Pearl Jam, and I put you through like the worst shoulder workout in the world. I'm actually just sweating thinking about it. But what was that like? You get on, how hard is is it to walk on? It's difficult. There's no doubt about that. The positives, I think, to Gonzaga is just how incredible the culture was. You know, you mentioned yourself that you were here and seeing you as a guy that made it as a walk-on and remembering the support and kind of the positive attitude that you had coming in with Blake and then meeting Corey Violet right away. And, you know, I think developing a friendship with those two, they made me feel part of it was huge because obviously those two would go on to be great players here. But just really how welcoming everybody is. I mean, I still laugh, you know, Casey and and Mark Spink were the seniors when I was here as a freshman. And uh, Casey was a fairly intimidating guy, but he was really welcoming. And, uh, you know, they just, everybody immersed me in the Zag culture so quickly that I never really felt like an outsider. Um, I was probably fortunate enough that first year, we didn't have a lot of bodies. So I, I got to be pretty included from an activity standpoint, both in the weight room and basketball wise. So it's hard and there's a lot of ups and downs, but I would say actually the start probably got off to a better start than I could have envisioned. Tell me about the confidence piece, because you go from high school, win the state titles, you have D2, D3 schools recruiting you, even some D1s chatting with you. And so you're one of the best players in the state at that point. And then you come to GU and you're kind of low man on the totem pole. You know, to be a walk-on, a freshman playing on a top 25 team, that's got to shake your confidence a little bit not to be one of the best players on the court. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I think I was mature enough to know that I was going to move back down to the bottom, but it is different. I had had a multiple-year run where I was one of the better players in Oregon and on one of the better teams in the West Coast. And you get here and, uh, you know, like you said, your your skill-wise goes near the bottom, your athleticism goes to the bottom and kind of the expectations of your and your role drop to the bottom. And that is difficult. And, uh, you know, I, I've been here essentially 20 years now in a lot of different forms. And that confidence piece is one of the biggest things that I see that helps the walk-on situation work. Well, I think what's cool with you is you never gave up, no matter how difficult the times were. And we've seen a lot of great athletes come through and walk on, but just were able to maybe overcome the fact that they weren't the starter or a contributing piece of the team at the very beginning beginning. So they end up leaving, but you stuck it out and end up earning a scholarship. How good did that feel to be able to get those scholarship papers or get that first scholarship check? Uh, It was awesome. You know, I I obviously financially the burden off me and my parents was huge and you're grateful for that, but it had taken so long that by that point, I think the financial piece of it probably had to do less with the piece that's earned. And I think you remember that that's just not given out out of charity. It was uh, a recognition of hard work, whether that be from a leadership role, whether that be from a practice role, whether that be from a contribution in a game. There's been probably double digits of us that have been fortunate enough here to go from walk-ons to scholarship players. And we all probably earned it for slightly different reasons, but they were all earned. And, uh, you know, I think that's the thing I remember most is just kind of feeling like everything I had put in for whatever that was, three-ish years, was really being recognized. And I was really, really grateful to Coach View and to Billy and Leon and, and Tommy at that time. 
Yeah, I don't know if there's another school in the nation that has as many walk-ons, not just turn scholarship, but turn starters. I think about guys like Mark Spink when I was playing or Kyle Bankhead, David Stockton, Mike Hart's a famous one. And even just more recently, like a guy like Jeremy Jones, who you see get really significant minutes. Is that common? Do you see that in the Division One world that has that many guys walk on and earn significant minutes? Not in those numbers, not at all. And not especially at the level that Gonzaga's got to. You know, you may have one a year that turns out to be a great player somewhere as part of a great team, but that's kind of a one-time flash in the pan for the program. And, you know, you just went over kind of since this run started. Uh, you know, I think Ryan Floyd very much needs to be in that category. Obviously, yourself needs to be in that category. These guys became major, major contributors on Elite Eight, Sweet 16 with you. Mike Hart started on the number one team in the country. David Stockton was you know, a contributor on the number one team in the country and went on to play in the NBA. Jeremy was on a team that went to the Elite Eight as a major factor. Kyle Bankhead started multiple years on some top 25 teams. You don't see that. You don't see that in the numbers and for teams that are consistently winning 28, 30 plus games and going deep in the NCAA tournament. Well, today what I wanted to talk about is the process of walking on for all those athletes that are kind of tweeners that are not sure what they want to do. They know what they want to play at the next level. I want to be able to give them a good look of some options they have if they want to go at least to the D1 level. So just starting out, it seems like there's kind of two kinds of walk-ons. There's a recruited walk-on, which I would kind of put myself in that category somewhere where I'd already known the coaching staff and they said, hey, we want you to come and walk on. We think that you have a bright future here. And I think there's probably another category of someone that's already on campus. They love hoops. They might be playing in the rec center and they might just do a walk-on trout. So can you maybe talk about the two different kinds and maybe how it works here at GU? Yeah, and we've had both of those. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the guys you talked about, myself included, were were kind of the walk-on that knew what we were getting into. We knew the staff. We had had some recruiting conversations versus, you know, a guy like Mike Hart. And I I think that's what makes Mike Hart's story truly, truly one of a kind that we'll never see again is Mike Hart showed up as a student. None of us knew who he was. He was playing in the field house. He was not on the team. Uh, when we did craziness in the kennel, he was part of the kennel club. And the next thing you know, the guy's starting on the number one team in the country. So there are kind of two kinds. First group, the walk-ons, you know, that kind of are given the spot before they get on campus are guys that are traditionally very, very good high school players. They probably had some success at the AAU level. And whether it's them personally or a trainer or an AAU coach are aggressively seeking out a Division One opportunity. And those guys, again, come in. We usually have a little bit of a feel of, of what they can contribute, whether that's to a practice setting or potentially seeing a little bit of a game future for them. And those guys have a little bit of a leg up. Like I said, that's kind of what I had. And I don't think I could have taken the leap just to come here and come to a walk-on tryout. And so there's definitely some comfort in that. Those guys get going with us from day one and get ingrained pretty quickly. The other form is, you know, we do hold walk-on tryouts. And those those are guys, and I respect those guys so much for the difficulty of just kind of coming over from the rec center, being thrown into a tryout that's going to be 90 minutes, maybe two hours, and with a bunch of guys they've never really played with, expectations that are unclear, what the staff actually wants if they're going to take someone, and then finding a way to make it from that. We've had some awesome, awesome guys from that. And, uh, you know, the two that really stick out to me are Mike Hart, just because of the extreme success he had from a walk-on tryout to starting on the number one team in the country to being the type of player he was. And then the other guy is Andrew Sorensen, probably just because he stuck with it. You know, if, if there's a story in, in persevering, it's Andrew, a, a guy that didn't make it from walk on tryouts multiple times, multiple years in the kennel club, and then made it and turned himself into a really good player and ended up, you know, starting on a senior night and being one of the great walk-ons this program's ever had. I think uh, 
those are two pretty cool stories from guys in the tryouts. When I get my three levels of leadership talk, I always use Anders Sorensen as my prototypical level one leader because the reason why he earned a scholarship and was such a huge part of that team was because his ability to create synergy and energy and bring people together. He is one of the most positive people that I know. And it's no wonder why he's such a great success now working at Nike. And you know, I think when you're infectious like that, you're going to be successful wherever you go. The hard part about walking out is you don't have unlimited spots. So how many positions do you kind of keep open for a walk-on every year? You know, I think as a staff, it's probably less about how many we keep open as kind of general number we want. And it's a little bit it's a little bit fluid. You want enough that you can practice, which the last couple of years, we honestly have been a little light, but you don't want too many where you just got bodies standing around and it just becomes really inefficient for everyone. So, you know, at Gonzaga, I think that number, again, probably depends upon the year, probably 14 to 17 and you get 13 scholarship players, but sometimes you don't always fill all those. So that's the really hard thing about the walk-on tryout. There's been years we've had really, really good players show up to tryouts but we've had 15, 16 guys we felt comfortable with our number. And really, regardless of how good someone was, there wasn't really going to be a spot. That's a little bit where you have more clarity, kind of being one of those preferred walk-ons where you know if you come, we're counting you into that group and you're at least going to have a spot. Now, what that role looks like could vary drastic, but at least you know you're going to be a part of it. You know, So that's kind of with the numbers, it's a little bit difficult. This year, we're carrying 17 because we were able to find some walk-ons that we really, really like. We've had a couple years lately where we've had 13, 14 and had a small number of walk-ons. So that number can vary just kind of depending upon the year. I know this is probably an impossible question to answer, but what are those things that you're looking for? I'm sure that probably depends on the year, whether you look and need some guard skills or some bigs, but are there some common traits or some things that, hey, a walk-on needs to have these kind of attributes? Yeah, the first thing you hit from a basketball standpoint is it's going to vary. Are we a little light in the backcourt that year and, and we can use someone that could help handle the ball and practice? Guys that can defend are super valuable. It's traditionally hard to find walk-ons with size to go up against our size and practice. You know, but those vary and, and that's year to year and, and those are lesser concerns. The biggest qualities you can have is your work ethic. You're going to have to work really, really, really hard for very little recognition. And then the type of teammate you are. And you touched on Andrew being, I think, the greatest we've had in terms of the energy that he brought to practice. We want guys that are energy givers, and that can take on a lot of different forms. That can take on kind of the rah-rah cheering at practice to get us some energy at practice. That can take on encouraging a guy, you know, a scholarship guy that's maybe a little bit down, whether he had a bad game or a bad practice or he's not playing. That can maybe bring along a guy that's not the hardest worker and set an example with your work ethic and maybe getting them in the gym a little bit more than they have been. There's a lot of different ways to be that teammate, but that teammate, that energy giver is huge. And then I think it's kind of in the same realm, but you got to be really selfless. You're going to be asked to do a lot of different things at a lot of different times, and you just need to put your own ego aside and do what's best for the program. As I look back, I think that's what's been pretty unique about all of us. The guys that have made it here the whole time, whether that's Andrew and I, who are kind of the two that didn't really ever play, or whether that's you or Mike or Stocks or Jeremy Jones, we kind of selflessly found ways to give to the program that made us valuable members. I love that term servant leader because I think it's something that a walk-on should strive for. You have to be a servant in terms of looking, assess the team's needs. Where can you fill in those gaps? How can you be of service to other people? 
But you also have to be a leader. You can't just sit back and go with the flow. You mentioned some of the things that are huge, which is looking at seeing maybe it's that senior starter that just needs some support, needs someone to rebound for him, needs someone to push him, needs someone to be an example. And so it's kind of interesting to think about the walk-on being a leader to the senior starter. But I think there's just so many different ways that you can come and be a contributor to a team. Now with that, there's also the managing expectations piece, which I think is unbelievably challenging. You know, you're going to want these athletes to come in and be servants and kind of be happy being part of a team, but you also want them scratching and clawing to get minutes because if a guy like David Stockton was just happy being on the team and supporting other people, he wouldn't have been able to maybe contribute on the court, you know, be a starter like he was. Tell me about managing those expectations. How do you kind of hold both of those truths at the same time? That's the hard one right there. And, uh, you know, I wasn't uh, around for your era, but uh, the guys of my era really made it as players. Bankhead and Stocks and Mike Hart and Jeremy Jones were unbelievable at that. And I think that's probably where... You know, they had some physical abilities that were probably ahead of mine, but that's probably where they separated themselves from what I was able to do. I don't think I was able to manage those expectations as well as they were. In the fact that they had an unwavering belief in themselves, I think that's the number one thing. From the day they stepped foot on the team, they believed that they belonged and they believed that they were going to play. Some sooner than later, but they had that belief. And then they were able to manage those expectations that maybe day one they weren't playing, but that their time was coming and they never lost sight of that. They never changed their expectations of what it would be. And then you mentioned the, the scratching and clawing. I mean, I just remember you couldn't get David Stockton off the floor. You'd kick him off and most walk-ons would walk over to the side and, and call it a day. And the very next rep, David would be out there and you'd tell him, I thought we told you to get out. And he would step out and he would be right back in. To Jeremy Jones, who's a little bit of a different story, but, you know, came, was playing football, had to sit out a year here. And just the way that Jeremy worked for three years, you know, the redshirt year worked really hard, had to sit out. The next year played a tiny bit and he just kept working and he kept working. And I kind of was always waiting, you know, is this a guy, he's played division one football. He played some at Rice in basketball too. Is he going to just decide he's had enough at some point? And he worked as hard as anybody we had in our program during his years here, his four years here. And it just turned that corner going into his senior year. And he became a crazy valuable member of a team that was number one in the country almost all year because he never lost sight of what he wanted and never lost sight of the belief that he could really, really help this team. Yeah, and that's so challenging because sometimes the way you want to help the team is not the way the team needs to be helped. And mm -hmm. one of the stories I share, not very often because it's a little embarrassing, but it was a pivotal point for me was managing expectations all the way to my senior year. Because now my senior year, I'm a starter, and we go to Hawaii for a uh, Christmas tournament. And Coach Few takes me on the top of the roof of one of the hotels. And I knew it wasn't good when I have a meeting with him alone. And he says, Mike, we love you on the court. You're really contributing to the team well. But we got four other all-league players. And if you want to be a scorer, well, we're probably going to sit you down. If you want to be able to start and keep playing, we can't have you shooting in the first 15 seconds of the shot clock, unless it's a wide open shot. And that just crushed my ego because I put so much time in, you know, getting my shots up and working without everyone. I thought I'd earn the right to do that, but I had to really swallow my ego and my pride and say, this is not about me, about me scoring or, you know, me having the career I want in terms of personal stats. It's what does the team need? And gosh, when I was able to kind of put that idea and those expectations of what I thought my senior year was going to look like 
and then just kind of submit to what's best for the team. It's amazing how my game got so much better. I was really struggling early in the season. And once I kind of realized I could just be me and play my game, play tough defense, hit an open jumper, of course, but you know, maybe um, take the back seat to some of those other guys who that was really their skill set. And I saw that in Jeremy Jones a little bit as well which is he has the ability to score. He's such a great player, but he really found out what does this team need? And what the team needed was someone to just lock down people, scrap out rebounds, be in the right spot. And of course, he shot the ball great, but he came and let it come to him in the flow of the offense. I think that's really difficult to do, though. Yeah, it is really difficult. And like I said, you know, something that I don't think I ever found the balance of. And I think your story speaks to that. And I think, Jeremy, I'm glad you brought that up. It's the best example of that. You know, Jeremy's a talented, talented player. I mean, he's playing in the first division in Germany, which is one of the best leagues in the world and has become a very, very good pro, which I think speaks to his skill set. And he worked really hard at that skill set. And he's had that skill set. He had a great skill set here. But once he really just was able to fully immerse himself in doing whatever it took to win, that's when his career took off here. Jeremy was a really good scorer. He had a double-double against Illinois. He's a guy that at other schools easily could have averaged double figures. But here he was with Josh Perkins, Norvell, Corey Kispert, two NBA lottery picks, and Hachimura and Clark. That just wasn't necessarily the role that we needed from him. And that's what really, I think, flipped going into that senior year was he just immersed himself in. It didn't matter if he played the three. It didn't matter if he played the four. We could use him for anything. We had him guard point guards. We had him guard fives. We had him play on the perimeter and shoot jumpers. We had him drive it. He just really bought into doing whatever it took to help the team. And he was so valuable to us that senior year, him. And then it just set his career off. It gave him an opportunity. And then he was able to turn pro and show a different skill set as a scorer. And it's been really fun to watch where he's gone. And I think, you know, he's probably the best example of that just because Mike Hart came in with this pretty specific skill set and it was so unique. He just kind of kept that rolling. He developed as a shooter, but Mike's effort and defense was unbelievable from day one. I think Stocks is a little bit like that. Stocks' ability to make plays is as good as I've seen. He had that when he got here. It just took some time to kind of flourish. So those are two guys that were probably able to just kind of make their skill sets work versus Jeremy's, who probably did kind of have to change what he was to immerse himself in the team and, and to become really valuable like you did back in the day. So for all these success stories, there's always the guys that don't make it for one reason or another. And I think about one of the challenging things that I had to deal with was just the ego of, you know, the insecurities that come with maybe not getting the same shoes that the rest of the team gets. And when you're a senior starter, it's not a big deal if you get last year's model to start out the season. Not a big deal. When you're the walk-on redshirt freshman and you get maybe last year's model, my ego was so fragile that, oh gosh, are people going to know that I'm not just like everyone else, I wanted to just be exactly the same. What are some of those challenges that you see that maybe some guys aren't able to overcome? I think you touched on it a little bit right there, whether it's the ego stuff, the less gear, the slightly different gear, or the uniform that doesn't fit as well as some of the other guys. You know, I think I see that less and less just because our guys are treated so equally amongst themselves that the walk-ons are a part of the social circle. They, they hang out with the guys all the time. They're 100% welcomed into the group that they don't worry as much about belonging. You know, and I think back to some of these teams, I mean, where a guy like Rim Bacchimus was kind of the social hub of the team. And, and so I see that a little bit, but, but probably less than that. It's what you talked about with both of us, but even these guys that walk on, people need to realize are all league guys in high school, probably all state guys, the, the best players on their high school teams. And for them to have to take that step back and realize that they're not the best is really hard basketball wise. And then like you said, at practice, 
they might go days where they're only allowed to defend or days where they're only allowed to play in drills. They don't get to play any five on five. Or when they do play five on five, you know, your talk came at a little bit of a different point. You were a senior starter, but hey, you're not going to shoot. Get the ball to the scholarship players and play defense if you want to play five on five at practice. And that is really hard when you've kind of been the guy and you've had a different role to hear like that you're not really wanted to do what you maybe envision yourself as is difficult. And then part of it is just the playing time. You know, as, as a walk-on, all of those guys we talked about, Mike, took significant time to earn their playing time, at least a year or 18 months, if not three or four years. And that can be really hard. Again, that's the perseverance of those guys that have made it is unbelievable to me versus, you know, you get six months into it and it's hard. You get a year into it and it's really hard. And by year two, usually, you know, you're kind of ready to, to make a call on your career if, if you want to play or if you just kind of want to be a part of it. That's a great point. You know, if you, if you want to be a great shooter, you better get a lot of game tight shots up on a consistent basis. If you want to be a great defender, you better get a lot of reps in. And I think that's what really helped me become a better defender was I literally was playing weeks on end, just full-time defense. And it's amazing how these little tricks that you can kind of pick up when to bump a guy, when to kind of hold a guy, when to kind of cheat the system, when to strip, you know, all these little things I don't think that maybe you could be taught in a structured setting by a coach. I think it's stuff you just have to figure out through repetition. So although that might look like a negative of having to play defense a lot, boy, if that's a skill set you want to get better at, there's no better way of doing it than getting live practice every day against some of the best players in the nation. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Mike Hart's the one I've had that talk with the most, and, and he attributes a lot of what he does well. Again, he came with some instincts and he came with uh, an incredible motor, but when I used to talk to him, he would give a lot of credit to how good he was defensively to having to guard Matt Bolden and Stephen Gray his first two years here for, like you said, entire practices, maybe multiple days of practices in a row where Mike didn't even get the ball. It was just guard Matt and Stephen over and over and over. And, uh, you know, later in his career, when he was able to guard pretty much anyone in the country, I would talk to him and he'd say, well, you know, it's, it's just like chasing Matt and Steve around all those years at practice. And I think Jeremy, you know, I haven't talked to him as much, but I think Jeremy went through that. He had to guard Nigel and Snacks and Perk and, and some elite, elite guards. And then Jeremy was versatile enough with the size that he had, that he had to guard Rui and Brandon at practice or, or J3 in practice, that I think that helped Jeremy too, that by the time he stepped on the court, there was no one that he hadn't guarded in a practice that didn't prepare him. So we have a lot of people listening that probably want to know, well, what's the next step? If you're going to give some advice to some high school athletes that wanted to be able to take a shot at their dream school. Can you give some pointers of some, here's step one, two, or three that they might take? Yeah, step one is, and this is the hardest one, is being realistic. And when I say that, I think I touched on it slightly earlier. Being a walk-on at a place like Gonzaga or whatever your dream school might be is really difficult. And these guys are the elite of the elite players. So even our walk-on are great high school players, the best players at their high school, the best players in their league, often all state. So if you're looking to walk on at a place like Gonzaga, you truly have to be the elite of the elite. You know, it can't just be, I made my high school team or, you know, I, I played a little bit for my high school. You got to realize what your level of ability is. And I think that's always the hardest is to find a realistic balance of where someone fits. After that, it's a matter of how are you going to get in contact with the school? And do you know someone on the staff at the school? That's always a good connection. Does your high school coach know someone at the school? Does your AAU coach? Those are going to be your best connections, true personal connections. 
Because after that, you move to the next step, and that's kind of the cold call or the email. I get a handful of those a day, Mike. I mean, they get into the hundreds by the time you get to the end of the year, and it's just too hard to filter through those at Gonzaga's level. I'm sure there's other schools that get less and have to filter through them to fill a roster, but kind of the level we're at, it has to be that personal connection where where someone can really vouch for you. Or number four is to play really, really well in high school or AAU, really get noticed to the point where it's like, God, that guy is a really, really good player. Maybe we don't have a scholarship open this year. Maybe we don't. If it's quite the right fit yet, but it's really close and, and to be noticed by us. I think that's probably the second best way other than that, that personal connection. I think about these guys that we have right now, the walk-ons we have right now, and they were all brought to us by their high school or AAU coaches that we know and that we can trust. And then they helped build that relationship. They gave us film on their game or, or told us where their games were and, and uh, that. But I think at least at Gonzaga's level, the kind of cold call, email, phone call is, is just really hard. It's just such a diluted pool. How would you guide someone that came to you saying, hey, I'm a good player. I have D2 or D3 schools looking at me, you know, D2 schools offering full-ride scholarships, but I'm thinking about playing Division One. What are some of the questions you're going to ask them, some of the advice that you give to them on making that decision? I get that one a lot because the walk-ons here now, we've risen to a level, are in that level. They all got Division II scholarships. They could all be great Division Three players. Some of them nowadays even have maybe a low Division One offer. And I think the first thing is the financial piece I bring up. And that's, hey, you have a full education to X university for division two. To get your education paid for is really, really valuable in life. If you can leave college with no student debt, yourself set yourself up for a great future. Are you and your family able and willing to pass on that? And if you are, is that because you can get academic money at Gonzaga? Is that because you really, really believe that you're going to get an athletic scholarship? But the first thing you have to realize is drastic financial difference you're taking between a scholarship and choosing to walk on. And if that's something that for whatever reason they are okay with them and their family, kind of the next thing you talked about is the expectation. Okay, if you go Division Two or Division Three, you're probably going to be in the rotation right away. Good chance you're probably looking at like being a starter right away and probably at some time in your career being the guy. And then I talked them through what you and I have talked about in this podcast, kind of the history here of, hey, I've been here 20 years. I know the two or three guys that did it right before me. And in 25 years, here's the four or five guys that made it. Here's the three or four guys that were kind of in the middle, like myself, Andrew Sorensen kind of guys in that category. And for all of us, there's 35 guys that it didn't work out for. So you got to realize that the odds are kind of against you. I think that's the hard one right there is what do they really, really want? Do they want the experience of being in Division One? Do they want the experience of playing right away? And where's that balance? You know, if someone says, no, nah, coach, I got to be on the floor from day one, then, then walking on is not the right thing. If it's, coach, I really think I can make it, but I'm willing to bide my time. I'm willing to improve. I know I have to get better at X, Y, Z. Then I think the walking on situation could make some sense. You know, I, I also think as you have this talk, kind of what a contingency plan would be, you know, and, and there's a couple different ways to look at that. If you start at the Division One level, you're going to get better. You're going to get such good players every single day, such elite level training in the weight room with guys like you and TK that you're going to get better. So does that mean that you could come here and then drop down to that level and become a great player still? Probably. Could you come here and drop to a lower division one and be a really good player? That's realistic too. Versus once you start D2 or D3, 
it's probably going to be hard to come back up to division one level. There's rules that make it a little bit difficult. Most likely if you become a really good player at the division two or division three level, you're going to be really happy there and, and like the role that you have and probably not want to pass up that role. So it kind of gets into also, you know, how much mobility do you want in your career? And the other thing I always tell the walk-ons, and to me, this is outside of the financial piece, the most important is what do you want out of your college experience? If you're looking at being a walk-on, you need to think long run. Probably means you're not going to play in the NBA. And so that means that you need to have a future outside of basketball. And what do you want? So what I tell kids, and then obviously Gonzaga is home to me, it's one of the most special places in the world to me, is I had a great experience here, and that's why I never left. It was great socially. It was great academically. The athletics turned out well. Obviously, it set me up for the rest of my life. If you want to come to Gonzaga for all the great things that Gonzaga or whatever university it might be offers outside of basketball, then I think walking on makes a lot of sense. But you have to make sure that that university is right for you outside of the athletics because the athletics are going to be really, really challenging. They're going to have a lot of ups and downs. And most likely, statistically, it's not going to work out how you envision. And I think that's really important because, again, if you're in that walk-on situation, you know, David's obviously one of the great success stories in the history of being a walk-on. And he's played a cup of coffee in the NBA. You know, it's, there's not many guys that walked on that make their careers in the league. Really making sure the university's right for you is the key. Well, and I would say if they want to find maybe the best wife in the world, probably coming to Gonzaga would be a good call because that's where I met Rhiannon, who I, of course, am a little biased, but is the best spouse ever. And I would say, gosh, if not tied, would be Sarah, who you met at Gonzaga. And she's one of my all-time favorite people and was a fellow strength coach at Gonzaga. So, I mean, even if the basketball career didn't work, out you still won the biggest prize yeah i think uh most of us walk-ons have done pretty good ryan you me stocks met his wife here so i I think a handful of us uh, that's turned out pretty good for and again that gets to choosing a university for the things outside of athletics the social community the academics you know i think obviously uh, on an extreme level us finding our wives here are good examples of that the contingency plan is an interesting one because I don't know if you ever got this low during your you know, career, but there was definitely a point where I was really considering quitting. It was just so difficult. You know, like you mentioned, I was one of the best players in my league in the state at that time. And then coming to GU, I was you know, the least skilled, you know, the least athletic, you know, just the least experienced as a walk-on redshirt freshman. Every practice was one of the most difficult practices of my life. I just remember that first year being so challenging and it messes with you a little bit because I love basketball for so long. And then there was a time where I'm like, man, this is really not as fun when you're not as good as everybody else. And it shook my confidence. And so I think a lot of people might not be able to make it through that point. And I think me, I probably wouldn't have made it either if it wasn't for my family allowing me not to quit and my teammates really supporting. And that's one unique thing I think about here is just the culture, the guys really love everyone. doesn't matter if you're the starter or the walk-on or the shooter or the defender. Everyone's just a human being and they all care for each other. So that kept me going. Was there ever a time in your career where you were like, did I make the right decision? Should I be transferring? Do I even want to keep playing basketball? Oh, of course. I think everybody has that, let alone walk-ons. Like you said, the support system gets you through. Your friends at Gonzaga, your family, your teammates. But there was definitely times where you sit there and say, you know, wow, would I rather be here just barely hanging on at practices 
or would I rather be at that D2 or D3? And, you know, obviously I had buddies that went and played at that level and guys I had had a lot of success with that were becoming all league type players or even all American type players and thinking, guy, if they can do that there, should I just call it a day and maybe I could go average 25 somewhere else and I'd have the ball in my hands the whole time. There were some days where I sat and you really think about that, you know, and, and to the point where I thought about some pros and cons of, well, what's good about Gonzaga, what could be good about the other places. And like I said, I just, the university was too great to me. The social life that I had established was too great to me. My teammates here were too great. And then just the uncertainty of, you think you know what the other side's going to look like, but is it really, you know? And, and I think that that's, you know, what kept me here. But oh, for sure, there was more than one day. There was a lot of days that were, you know, is this the right place? And what ifs? And, uh, you know, I, I think even probably a couple years out of school when I was still playing a lot of basketball, playing against guys that had played at lower levels and playing really well against those guys where I thought like, what if I would have done something else? If, if these guys had that kind of success and I'm better players than they are, what would my college career have looked like? And I, I think I had that for a handful of years after I left here. Well, selfishly, I'm really glad you stuck it out because you're just a huge blessing to the university and it's just so awesome to have an alumni still working with the program and being able to help all the current guys through, you know, the same rough patches that you went through. So just so thankful for your friendship and thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing because a lot of people want to be able to be successful as a walk-on and they don't know what it looks like. And so to have your wisdom has just been invaluable. So thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. And I always appreciate the leadership and mentorship you've given me and uh, obviously everything this school has given to me has, has been incredible and it's, it's my home. It's awesome. Now that's a wrap on episode 59. And I hope you'll join me next week where I get to interview author and keynote speaker Mike Lee. He's a fellow hooper with a college degree in psychology. And check this out, basketball entrepreneurship. That's pretty wild. We spend the entire episode talking about the power of mindfulness and how it can help you on and off the court. And if you haven't already, it would mean a lot if you'd rate and subscribe to the podcast. The more players, coaches, and parents know how to properly eat, train, and lead, the better we can take care of our game. And to all of you who are committed, we'll earn your X.